What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. The European Football Academy system is super complex. The world's biggest clubs are recruiting kids as young as eight years old, promising them elite training and a chance to earn millions as a professional footballer. So today's podcast is going to take a look at how these academies really work, what a typical schedule might look like, and the slim chance these players have at actually going pro. Let's get right into it. Okay, so youth sports in the United States are pretty straightforward. Kids start out playing for their local youth programs. They then transition to playing for their middle and high school teams. And the most talented kids will also participate in travel or AAU teams. Then a small percentage of these kids go on to play in college. And the elite college players then move on to the big leagues through a draft process, right? Pretty simple. But the world of European football is completely different. Sure, young players still compete in their local leagues. But the second that these kids show any flash of potential, a youth academy will snatch them up, start training them, and hope to develop their game enough to turn them into the next football superstar. Now, I want to break down a little bit of like not only how these academies work, but I'll show you a sample schedule of what a player might go through at one of the academies, and then we'll talk through some of the finances behind what has really become a huge industry. But to start, football academies in their simplest form They're just training centers run by teams to develop young players. They bring in young players. Every English Premier League club has one, and there's other top flight league clubs around the world that have them too. So it's not just the Premier League. It's every other league you might imagine. The biggest clubs in the world, they all have youth academies. And thousands of kids are participating in these academies. Now, every academy is a little bit different. So for today's podcast, what I want to do is simply run through the English Football League, the EFL, because it's the most unique and complex, and we'll use that as an example to frame kind of how these academies work in general. Now, EFL academies, they recruit young players as old as eight years old. So at eight years old, they're able to start recruiting them. Each academy is only allowed to have 250 kids in each academy. And that means if you add them all up across the Premier League and every other league beneath it, there's typically 10,000 to 12,000 boys in the EFL academy system at any given time. So The easiest way to think about how an academy is structured are there's four different categories in each academy, one, two, three, and four. One would be the most elite players, the highest tier of players. These are players that show the most promise. They're typically a little bit older, and they have a real chance of developing into a Premier League player. Next up would be two and three, which is kind of like middle of the road category people. It's it's certainly divided a little bit on age. So this could be anyone that is under nine to under 21s. And then four is what we'll call like developmental players. It's usually concentrating on a little bit older players that they believe still might have a chance to develop. So we're talking under 17s to under 21s. So again, one through four, it's essentially separated by skill level, but there's an age component there as well. What happened was really unique because over the last decade, the rules changed. There were a set of rules before 2012, 2013 that changed, and the new rules are under a plan called the Elite Player Performance Plan, EPPP for short. Now, a lot of people thought that this was going to kill or significantly hurt the academy system throughout Europe. And the reason for that was simple. There were a lot of rules and regulations and whatnot placed on these academies through this new plan called EPPP. But today, that didn't happen. There's 90 clubs across the EFL still investing in youth development through a licensed academy structure. Now, the rules that I were talking about are pretty straightforward. There's a bunch of them. I think there's actually like a thousand page handbook that people get when they join an academy. 
but depending on kind of where you're located in the club that you're signing up for, the rules can be broken down into a few big categories. One would be the age that you can recruit players at. So this new plan put in a limitation that you can't recruit anyone younger than eight years old. They also put in a regulation of how far the players could live from the academy. Most of this, again, it depends on one, the specific academy, but the age group and the, and the phase that you're at, right? If you're under 11, if you're under 16, if you're under 21, there's different categories, but most of it, you have to live within an hour to an hour and a half of the training facility. And then there's also regulations that are put on how much you can train while at the academy. So again, there's four categories basically separated by skill level and then inside of each of those categories. So we'll take category one, for example, that is the most elite, the highest skill player. There's three different categories within that category. We'll call them phases. There's a foundation phase, a youth development phase, and a professional development phase. The foundation phase is the youngest players under nine to under 11. The middle phase is youth development under 12 to under 16. And the professional development phase is U17 to U21. So again, within each category of kind of the level that your play is, there's categories within that, subcategories we'll call them, that breaks up based on age group. And the reason why that's important is because Younger players can't train as long as older players, and they can't commute as far as older players, and they don't get the same schedule or structure as older players. So you may be considered an elite player for under 11 and in category one, but your rules and what you're able to do for the academy itself are going to be drastically different than professional development, which is you know U17 to U21. And I'll give you an example. So if we look at the rules that are outlined in the EPPP plan, category one for elite players. Those foundation phases, they will call them nine to 11 year olds. They're only allowed four coaching hours per week. So four hours per week, they're allowed to train and allowed to coach with the academy coaches. That raises to eight hours for the older players. And then it goes all the way up to 14 hours per week for the players that have a commitment to the academy, but are also 17 to 21 years old. So again, there's a drastic difference in kind of what you're able to do from a commuting perspective. When you're over 16, there's no requirement from a commuting perspective. Under 16, it's generally an hour and a half. And then under 11, it's an hour. So you have to live a little bit closer to the facility. These teams can't come out and recruit you from anywhere and get you to come over without, obviously, you living a little bit closer. All right, everyone, quick interruption from today's episode to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, ButcherBox. I've been ordering from ButcherBox for a few years now, and it's the single best solution I found to save time while guaranteeing the quality of your food. Everyone probably knows what ButcherBox is, but they deliver 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, and wild-caught seafood directly to your doorstep. It's literally that easy, and it tastes incredible. So ditch the butcher lines today and guarantee the freshness of your meat with ButcherBox. And here's the best part. If you sign up today, ButcherBox is offering all of my listeners two pounds of ground beef for free every time they order over the next year. Let me say that again. Two pounds of ground beef every time you order over the next year, you get for free. So go to butcherbox.com slash Joe Pomp and use code Joe Pomp, all caps, Joe Pomp at checkout to get that discount today. How do players get recruited? That's one of the most common questions, I think. And it's actually relatively pretty simple. There's a few different ways you can do it. And again, it differs by club. But the easiest way to assess it is really that the clubs recruit the players. So they go to different youth leagues, they find players, they scout players, whatever it is. They'll usually try to talk to the team or the league beforehand before talking to the player's parents and the player themselves. But essentially what happens is it's like college recruiting in the United States where 
you find a player that you like, you try to get them and recruit them to come to your academy, you sign them up, you get a deal, and then they come and they train with you guys. Now, there's a couple other ways to do it too. You can have them come in for training sessions. So you could see a player and say, hey, I think that player is pretty good. Let's get them in here for a training session to assess them, and then we'll potentially sign them to a contract or not. That's usually what ends up happening. And then there's other clubs like Fulham who are doing open tryouts. So they allow young players to come in and try out for the academy, and then they sign them to what they call schoolboy papers. Those deals are typically renewed every one to two years to see if the player, but also the club, want them to continue at the academy. So again, you can get recruited as young as eight years old. They'll come in, they'll either scout you, you can go to a tryout or whatever, but you find your way into an academy, you sign what's called a schoolboy papers deal, and those deals are renewed every one to two years between the player and the club to see if they want to continue this relationship. Now, once you're in the club, your schedule can be packed and it cannot be packed depending on kind of what stage you're at. But let's use a few examples here. The example I want to use is is Cardiff City because they did an article with the BBC a few years ago where they outline like a specific schedule of what people are doing on a daily basis. So what we have here is we have the U9 to U16, and then we have U17 to U21. And then I'll walk you through like a sample day in the academy for a U18 at Manchester United. But for you, U9 to U16, right? So 16 and under, we'll call it. You're training three to four times per week. It's one to one and a half hour sessions in the evenings, after school, and or over the weekend. You're usually playing one game per week. Sometimes there are weekend festivals, which is basically just multiple set matches against other teams in one day. Not not a tournament style event, but there's tournaments, right? And these players can still attend their local schools and they usually do training after school hours. So they're not actually going to school at Crystal Palace or Carter City or Fulham or wherever, right? They're attending their local school. Then they're commuting to the place for training three to four times per week, one game per week. And sometimes they'll do tournament style stuff too. But these are, they're like part-time and they're almost hybrid, right? And then you move up into the full-time. So U17 to U21, football starts to get a little more serious at the academy. Academies meet with these players and their families as they're approaching 16 years of age to determine if they should continue on their youth training scheme through a scholarship or if they should leave. So youth training has limited spots. For example, Crystal Palace has only taken six players at a time in the past, while some other clubs maybe take a few more. And then you have scholarships. Scholarship players typically live in housing provided by the academy. And the scholarship process typically lasts up to three years, right? So instead of one to two years, if you're on scholarship, maybe it lasts three years. And the goal of the scholarship player is to elevate them from the youth team to the reserves of the club, right? So Premier League clubs also typically have U21 teams that provide a bridge from the youth club to the reserves. So if you think about youth, then you might go to the the, uh, U21 team and then the reserves and eventually make it on the first team. So these players have a little bit different of a schedule, and I'll read you through an example schedule of a typical day at Manchester United. They did a a breakdown of this a while ago on their actual website. They said a day in the life of the Manchester United U18T. So U18 players for Manchester United, they'll wake up around 7.30, 8 o'clock, whatever it is. They arrive at the facility at 8.30 a.m. They'll eat breakfast at 8.40 a.m. Then they'll start doing a pre-training warm-up drill at 9 a.m., so basically just getting loose for the training. They'll then go into film study right after warming up. So 9.30 a.m., they're in film study. Pre-activation exercises, essentially another warm-up activity at 10.10. 10.30, so 20 minutes after that, and about two hours after they got to the facility, they'll enter a group training session. Then around noon, after the training session, an hour and a half, they'll have lunch. Then after an hour lunch at 1 p.m., 
They will go into individual player sessions that'll last about another hour. Then at two, they'll go into unit training sessions, which essentially are just groups split into defenders, midfielders, attackers, etc. Three, so after an hour of both individual and then another hour of unit training sessions, they'll go into strength and conditioning for about 30 minutes or 45 minutes. And then they will end around 3.30, 3.45 with education and extracurricular activities. So literally, U18, all day they're training. You know, 8, 8.30 in the morning, they're at the facility. They're there till 3 or 4. Then they start doing education or extracurricular activities after that. I think the easiest way to explain this is like, this is a full-time job. And it's not dissimilar to like what a college football player would be like in the United States, right? Anyone who has ever followed the schedule of a college football player or known someone that played college football or any other high-level sport like that at the collegiate level, these people are really, really, really busy all day long, right? You obviously have to still take your courses and your classes and stuff like that, but you're training to be a professional. And it's even a higher degree in the European football world. So we don't really have much data on like what the scholarships are worth. It's all relative to what you'd be able to go to school for or receive that training for, but they're obviously very, very valuable. The more interesting part about this is like, what is the success rate? And there's two parts. I think one part is a little bit higher than people might realize. And then one part is significantly lower than people might realize. It is believed that nearly 50%, 45% of all EFL Academy scholarship players earn a professional contract by the age of 18. So 45%, nearly 50% of all EFL Academy scholarship players start playing professional football, soccer, by the age of 18. They earn their first contract. But out of all the players, less than 0.5% will actually go on to have a full-on professional career in football. So we're talking about not only scholarship players, every single player in there, and a career, right? We're not talking about one year, two years, three years, and then you're done. We're talking about a long-term career. 0.5% of the players will go on to have a career in football. Now, this is important because obviously if you're going away at eight years old and you're essentially treating it like a profession at this point, you're going to multiple training sessions every single week, you're traveling to tournaments, you're part of Manchester United or Fulham or Newcastle or Chelsea or whatever it is, right? You're part of one of these teams' academies. You grow up with the club, they sign you to multiple deals year after year after year. Eventually you move in, you become a U21 trainee, and you're doing this full-time. This is a full-time job. If you end up not making it as a professional footballer, what do you do, right? Like it's kind of this weird world where your dream is given up at a young age. You probably don't have a huge backup plan because for the last decade, that's what you assumed you might be doing. And you were probably told along the way that you could do it, right? Yeah, everyone's looking up to you. You're at the academy. You're doing really well. So if that doesn't happen, there's become like this weird dark side of football where a lot of bad things can We've seen over the past few years, notable, notable, notable things. There was a kid, Jeremy Whiston, who was an 18-year-old academy member of Manchester United. He committed suicide a few years ago in 2020 after being released by the academy due to an injury. There's been a bunch of other players too that have taken their own lives or significantly injured themselves when they got released from academy. There are other players. There was a guy named Tom Hamilton who was an academy member at Bristol City he started selling drugs after he was released because of an injury. He talked with Sky Sports about that at length. There's a bunch of other people. There's way too many to name, to be honest. But essentially what happens is if you don't make it, there's been studies that have been done that 55% of academy players had clinical levels of physiological distress. So essentially, you know, within three weeks, 21 days of leaving the academy, they experience really, really, really difficult times. And I have a quote here from a Manchester United Academy player, Dimitri Mitchell. He said, 
My lowest point was not knowing if I would play again. I was probably overthinking and being a bit dramatic. But in my head, I was thinking, am I going to play again? Am I going to be all right? What am I going to do if I can't play? And that was right after he ended up leaving the academy again because of an injury. So what do academies do about this? One of the things that EPPP established was a transition program for the players. So the players that don't end up turning pro, this transition program that all EFL clubs now offer tracks players and offers them support, especially when it comes to mental health, for up to three years after leaving their academy. And some teams even offer clinical psychologists for players that are released. Again, this has become really important because of the dark side of what we've seen out of the academy over the last few years. Again, I can't even imagine. There's grown men and women that retire from sports, that had 20-year careers, earned millions of dollars, and talk about these dark times that they went through after retirement, not knowing what to do next, being uncertain about their future, whether it's financial security or just kind of like personal relationship security. This is like a real problem in sports. And when you're 15 years old or 16 years old or 17 years old, it's magnified by a hundred because you don't know how to deal with these things emotionally and it's much more difficult. So this is one of the things that the EFL has gotten much more serious about over the years, but these academies are too important for them to go away. And I want to explain why. First off, the academies make money in a number of different ways, but first and foremost, they're there to serve as an entryway for these clubs to have a steady stream of readily available talent, right? They want to have young players coming up continuously. If you have a good academy and a good youth infrastructure system, you're continuously bringing up new players to your first team and doing that instead of doing it through free agency or the open market or wherever else you would get players from. So that's one part of this. And I think that's the most important part. But the second part of this that needs to be discussed also is these academies are making a bunch of money, depending on like how good of players you're attracting. They go hand in hand. But at the end of the day, we've seen some huge wins from this. There was a report done by CIES a few years ago that talked about the most profitable academies. And essentially what they're doing is they're tracking the amount of money that these academies bring in to transfer income on graduate players. And Benfica was the most. I think they brought in over 350 million euros. Real Madrid was second. They recouped 330 million euros on players. One of the best examples is probably Kylian Mbappe. He was at AS Monaco, which was, you know, obviously a smaller club relative to PSG, but he ends up leaving there and gets sold for, I think it was 180 million euros at the time in 2018. It was the second or third biggest transfer fee of all time. And it accounted for over 60% of Monaco's profits from their academy since 2015. So essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to bring up these players and if you're able to sell them for high amounts or you can't pay them a relative degree to what they would be able to get on the open market you're able to profit because of the quality of player that you're getting. It happened to Jack Relish at Aston Villa when he went to Manchester City. It's happened to Christian Pulisic when he left Borussia Dortmund and he went to Chelsea. It's happened to a bunch of players all across the world. Liverpool, same deal. Like There's clubs all across Europe that are doing this really, really, really well. Vinicius Jr., same thing. A bunch of other players, right? This is South America. It's in England. It's in Spain. It's essentially everywhere in the world that this is happening. But it's become a huge business because you're essentially turning these young kids, you're giving them the guidance and the training that they need to try to become a professional player. And then if they make it and you're a smaller club and you can sell them for a higher amount, you can make insane amounts of profit on their sale. Again, I just gave you three to four different examples of how this is happening. But the most interesting part to me is like how this evolves over time. People have have desired this in the United States for a while. They say that it's actually a pretty decent model. 
I would argue that having kids go to professional training at the age of seven, eight, nine, ten years old is probably not the smartest move. In a lot of instances, and we've heard this, I interviewed Troy Aikman on the podcast a while ago, and he talked about how it was so important for him to play different sports growing up, right? For athletes to play basketball, football, baseball, other things like that. And I, I traditionally would probably agree with that. There are other studies coming out that, you know, a specialization in one sport increases your chances, but we're talking about football here, right? It's the world's most popular sport. There's like, I think over 3 billion people now that are fans of, of football, soccer, and that's like almost half the world's population. So it's the world's most popular sport. There's 1.5 million kids alone in England that are playing the sport. So it's incredibly challenging. It's more difficult than American football. It's more difficult than NBA, MLB anything else to get into as a professional athlete, the numbers are just not in your favor. So if that is your dream and that's what you want to happen, then you have to almost go and do one of these academies. And the academies, it's good for them too, because it creates an infrastructure and a pipeline of talent that are able to come up. And if they're not going to eventually play for your team, you're able to sell them for more money down the road. So we'll see what happens in the long run. But my guess is this isn't going away anytime soon. It's probably not going to be coming to the US either. But that doesn't mean changes aren't coming to the United States either. We've already seen it. There's a specialization of sports going on across the United States. There's more individualized training. Kids are going to academies like IMG and other places like that. And people are taking sports a lot more seriously, maybe than they have in the past. That's it for today. I had a bunch of fun putting together these numbers and details behind these football academies. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast too. I hope everyone has an amazing day. And we'll talk again on Friday. 